Welcome to Content Pros Podcast, where we unlock the strategies and secrets of the best content marketers in the world and ask the questions you've always wanted asked. Content Pros is sponsored by predictive content analytics software, Inbound Writer. Now, here are your hosts from Oracle Marketing Cloud, Chris Moody, and from Uberflip, Randy Frisch. Ready? Let's talk to the pros. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Content Pros Podcast. We're thrilled today to be joined by Joe Chernoff. Joe, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. It's uh, it's great to be working with you again in another capacity. I mean, when I when I heard recently that you had joined Inside Squared, I'm like, okay, there's another company that's that's bound to win based on your track record, you know, with other companies like Eloqua and HubSpot and and many other experiences you've had. So maybe you can start by you know, I'm I'm really familiar with Inside Squared, but maybe tell us a little bit about Inside Squared and why you decided to to make that your next journey. Well, if you're the um, customer, it's always more interesting to um, hear a pitch from a customer versus a um, versus a, an employee. Um, <laughs> but, but I'll do my best. Um, Insight Squared is sales performance, a sales performance analytics software product. So basically, it's business intelligence for the rest of us. Most of the innovation that's happened on the BI front has been at the enterprise level. Companies that have a data scientist on staff or a large staff of sales ops professionals, um, we are sales performance analytics for everyone else. So if you run a fairly lean inside sales team and you're a fast-growing SaaS company and you want all of those metrics that you're going to need to deliver to your board, like customer churn, customer churn by cohort, LTV, LTV to CAC ratio, all of those metrics that boards need to hear, um, we have pre-built templates that allow you to generate them. All right, Joseph, tell us what you're passionate about in the industry of content marketing, because you've created some amazing content. Many of that we still use at Oracle Marketing Cloud, because that does consist of a lot of Eloqua properties, too. So what do you love about the industry, and what keeps you up to create more content? Yeah, this is, this is tricky, because um, my answer is going to sound inconsistent with the spirit of the question, uh, and that's... Like, what I'm most interested in is, like, the diffusion of content throughout marketing versus content being a standalone function. Like, in my past, content has been, um, you know, and by and large, it's been, like, a, a center of excellence in the company, that there's a content team, and their job is to produce content that either generates leads or produce content that um, supports another marketing function. And so it's, it's sort of vertical, if you will. But I think it's more interesting to think about taking that vertical content function and, and turning it on its side, just sort of rotating it by 90 degrees and look at content as um, diffuse throughout the marketing organization. Uh, and so, so, for instance, like we are going to do a, um, what our sales team would call a lumpy mailer, right? We're going to do a, um, a, a giveaway item, really um, compelling prospects. But rather than just give them a high-value item, that project is going to be sort of infused with content in a way that you don't typically associate a, you know, a, a corporate giveaway to be. So I just, I think content gets more interesting when it's wrapped in different marketing contexts. 
if you will. That's interesting. Yeah, it's something here at Uberflip right now that is, you know, that is we're growing ourselves. We're kind of being challenged to think about in terms of how do you, how do you set up the content team, right? You know, within the concept of the marketing team. You know, do you have someone who leads content, or is content something that lives underneath each pillar of demand gen and brand management and so on? And I know you've you've probably been in different organizations that set up in different ways, um, and obviously it's going to depend on the size of the company. But you know, with with the point you just made, how do you how do you kind of see that evolving? Yeah, that's that's sort of the uh, sixty-four thousand dollar question: is is how do you structure this? And and particularly in what I said, in that it should be more horizontal than vertical, that makes that challenge even even more acute. Um, look, we do have a team here whose primary function is creating content, but um, that team is responsible not just for new lead acquisition but also for sales enablement because sales enablement is, um, you know, it's a, it's a content driven function. So rather than have content here, just live at the top of the funnel where it tends to live in most B2B organizations, it should be operating at two different altitudes, both at the top of the funnel in terms of blog, a tick down in the funnel in terms of like long form content that you use for lead acquisition, as well as, all the way down at the bottom of the funnel in terms of creating sales enablement. Sales enablement is usually divorced from the content team, uh, but here I think it's, uh, I want to optimize for the skills on that, in that group, and so the skills, is, uh, skills are creating content that people want to consume, and so why should we limit that to the top of the funnel? I think this is a really important point that most marketers overlook, and I tend to call it marketing your own marketing because the bigger the company, and, and even at smaller companies, people don't always talk back and forth, and you don't always know, like, hey, we created this great piece of content that will help with these three sales objections, or it will help get people who are interested in this product, and it may launch, it may go on the blog, it may be promoted in all the channels you promote things, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, wherever, but that doesn't mean that everyone sees it within the organization. So we had just launched something last week called Content You Should Know, and it's an email that's internal to a broader marketing group, and it's kind of a digest of the things that have come out in the last month or so to help people understand how to use the content. So with that horizontal concept, Joe, what tips do you have to try to better support the other functions? Because content is a big part of sales enablement, too, having you know things at their disposal when they're having conversations. Well, I am like literally three weeks into this model, so I can tell you what, how I'm going to try to prove that it makes sense, uh, but I don't have enough data or even experience to tell you what will make sense. Uh, here's what we're trying to do, particularly on the sales enablement front. Uh, we are going to track the, uh, the opportunities for which sales enablement content was supplied versus the opportunities for which sales enablement content was never delivered to the, to the lead. And I'm going to juxtapose those two and cross my fingers very, very tightly that when sales enablement content is, um, is used in the sales process, that particular opportunity is more likely to move to a closed one. And if I can prove that, then I imagine um, adoption will be much easier to um, to achieve than um, 
than if I just ask people to take my word for it. And maybe we'll stack the deck in our favor a little bit and take some of our best reps and take them out to lunch and say, you know, wink, wink, you really need to use this stuff because, um, you know, we'll have a greater shot at being successful. Um, maybe we'll maybe we'll get cute if we need to, but right now, like the goal is to say, does the sales enablement content uh, make a lead more likely to convert? And if so, I've got to communicate that. That's interesting, and you know, it kind of starts to tip us into this idea of account-based marketing. That you know is this buzzword that I keep hearing at any show I'm at these days, and you know obviously is a new way of thinking about how we create content to support the bottom of the funnel. And I'm just in, interested with you know you've been with companies with very different personas. If you if you look at Eloqua versus HubSpot versus the persona you described as you know the rest of us now at, at, in, at uh, Insight Squared. And, and I'm just wondering at, at what size company do you think you can start to create content for each individual account to actually support at that level? I, I would imagine in what you're doing now it probably doesn't make sense. You need to do it probably more based on a persona. Um. Yeah, there's a lot to that question. Um, how you know? How do you know? Uh, how do you know two marketers are talking about account-based marketing? Their lips are moving, right? Like there's, um, you can't go anywhere without somebody discussing account-based marketing. And yet, I don't know any company that's not an uh, ABM vendor that is doing pure account-based marketing. So those guys, um, you know, the John Millers and the Terminuses of the world are doing an extraordinary job of getting buzz. Um, they deserve a, a tremendous amount of credit there. They're creating a sector. Um, that said, you know, I think everybody in the industry is trying to figure out where on the slider they are between like pure account-based marketing and this other stuff that we've been doing for a while, this kind of um, content-informed marketing. Um, I think if you are a company, like my father-in-law sells software to um, nuclear plants. And I guess his total addressable market is, I don't know, well well under 100 companies. For him to run an inbound model or a content marketing model would be crazy, right? He should be able to call up 100% of his addressable market on the phone. Um, so some of it depends on, like, what your industry is. So for him, he is a prime candidate for pure ABM, right? They're value sales, and there's a finite number of them. And so they can invest whatever they want in, in grooming those leads and surrounding those leads because there's only so many of them. If you're selling to small businesses, uh, an inbound model may make more sense because there's hundreds of thousands, if not millions of them. And so companies need to decide like where on the slider they are between selling to hundreds of thousands, if not millions of businesses versus a finite number that you can all, you can have every single one of them in your address book. Uh, where Insight Squared is, is we sell to venture-backed technology companies that skew SaaS and have fewer than 500 employees. So we are somewhere in the middle of that slider. And so what you're going to see is like not pure ABM, but not pure inbound either because we do have a fairly rigorously defined persona. And so what, what we're doing, I'm calling it internally our lots of little marketing. That is content-driven marketing, but hyper-targeted to very finite groups of um, similar prospects. So we can use a service like DataFox to find out organizations 
that have hired more than, say, 25 sales reps in the last year. Use that information as a trigger and run a campaign targeting those organizations and say, like, look, you're onboarding more than one rep a month, more than two reps a month. Come to our webinar on how to efficiently onboard a new sales rep. That's not what our software does, but we can provide educational, that sort of classic content marketing type content, um, but to a very finite group of companies versus what I had done in the past where I'm trying to appeal to as broad a segment as possible. So I do think that there is a hybrid model that's really attractive for um, companies that are in between the two extremes. I, I think that's a great point, Joe, and, and I, I wanted to ask specifically kind of the debate between quantity and quality of content, and I'm, I'm even wondering if that has changed based on the companies you've worked with, because as you said, you know, you were targeting everyone before, and now it's a very specific set of people that are hiring lots of sales reps and venture-backed. But, you know, where do you stand on the debate of creating lots of smaller pieces of content that are hopefully more relevant versus creating the bigger pillar assets? Um, yeah, there's. it's interesting. There's a lot of religion around this topic, and in, to some degree I think it's a false choice. Like, you need enough content of a certain quality to drive the business. And I imagine there reaches a point of diminishing returns on the quality side. You're in this sort of spectrum. Um, here's what I'm trying to do. We have a tremendous asset, and that is the data, uh, that is our customer's data. Um, and so I want to spend more time creating content that takes advantage of this unique asset we have, which is hundreds and hundreds of SaaS companies that use Insight Squared to manage their revenue engine. And so I want to be able to segment that data by stage of company, by type of company, by category, by funding round, and produce original research based on that aggregate data. That takes a long time. Um, but I see that right now as quality. Quality being the uniqueness of the data contained in the content versus in the past my definition of quality was a little different. It had to do with you know, how beautiful it was, how unique it was, how fresh it was. And, and when we were marketing to marketers, when I was marketing to marketers, the packaging mattered a lot. Uh, we're marketing now to sales leaders and sales ops professionals. My sense is that the quality of the data and the substantiveness of the data and the relevance of the data is going to be more important, even more important than the packaging. So the definition of quality has evolved a bit or at least shifted a bit. Uh, I think if I had to take one side of the false choice, I am back to the quality side. Um, when I was at when I was at HubSpot, you know, we had a lot of mouths to feed, and we had a big audience to serve. And in that regard, um, qu uh, quantity mattered, but it was quantity even then of a certain quality score. That's interesting, and you know, it it gives us a good time to take a quick pause and talk about one of our sponsors uh, who helps a lot with us figuring out what content to write, what content's going to work, and that's Inbound Writer. Uh, they're a content analysis tool to forecast how your content's going to perform based on real-time analysis of your site, 
competition, search engine behaviors. Inbound Writer is that platform that will remove all the guesswork so that you don't waste time. They're offering a free trial of their tool. If you go to inboundwriter.com slash content pros offer, they'll be able to give it a try and we'll make sure that link is available in the show notes. Um, yeah, I, I want to dig in a little deeper, um, you know, talking about, you know, not inbound writer per se, but, you know, something I just said there, which is understanding what content's going to work. And, and I would imagine, you know, moving to Insight Squared now and moving away from, from companies who are more about lead score and now about understanding certain trigger points in the funnel that, you know, lead to ongoing success, you know, how are you starting to, to look at scoring content on an ongoing basis and, and really attributing what content's working for you? Sure. So, uh, first, uh, as far as inbound writer goes, I, I think Skip is a spectacular guy, and, and I think that value proposition, which is essentially um, how do you increase the likelihood of success for each piece of content you create, is a, is a very appetizing one. Um, what, I, what I tell my content team here is, like, I don't want to grade outcomes. I want to grade the quality of the attempt. And so I remember years ago, was a, um, a batting coach for the Red Sox, a guy named Mike Eisler, who that was his philosophy. He would grade every at-bat, and he would say if you take good at-bats, the stats are going to follow. But if you chase the stats, you're going to start to screw up your swing. You're going to start to screw up your approach at the plate. And I really think that there's a parallel in the business world to like getting uh, taking quality at-bats and then just trusting that the results will follow. Um, so I've... I've, I've, I've veered off of the core question and the core question being like um, how do you I, I believe you asked like what approach do I take to um, tying the content asset to business results and in the past the model here has been um, fairly conventional it's how many leads does a piece of content generate and then the next evolution of that is um, we use infer for um, um, our predictive um, analytics and so we would try to um, calculate we'd calculate how many points how many infer points did marketing accumulate in that given period in a given period of time and so those infer points would be a proxy for lead quality now that we're starting to think more about marketing as being um, along a spectrum of pure inbound which which uh, those which is consistent with the metrics I just described to pure ABM which is the my father-in-law example and that we're somewhere in the middle the new metrics we're evaluating are um, how many accounts not individual leads but how many accounts did we engage did we warm up with our content um, how many accounts or how many accounts that meet our definition of a perfect target uh, customer, how many of those came to our blog? How much time did they spend in a given offer or a given piece of content? So we're starting to shift our thinking more from like the raw tonnage of new names coming in to um, again that the H word again to a horizontal engagement across accounts, um, and that's much more of a John Miller um, ABM metric than it is that sort of classic funnel marketer metric where it's more about new names acquired versus new accounts engaged. How do you think that's going to have implications for the content you produce? Because 
you you did mention there's a central team that's responsible for content marketing, and you are trying to stretch horizontally and still have some inbound and some account base, but do you feel like you're going to be producing more relevant pieces for individual accounts, or is it just going to be supporting the specific pain points and trying to aggregate those? I'm just wondering how that changes things from a content perspective. You and me both. I mean, we're, we're working through this plan right now. Uh, look, on one hand, what you're going to see is, is counterintuitive. You're going to see our blog get a lot more narrowly focused. So we have a blog right now that kind of, uh, it's, it's fairly broad. It, it sort of addresses sales reps, sales leadership. There's a little marketing ops, uh, sales ops content in there. There's some sort of just for fun content in there. And, um, and if we're going to be graded, if you will, on um, attracting a relevant audience versus a purely large audience, then I have to narrow the aperture of the blog. So you'll see our blog get much more precise in who it writes to, who we write to, and um, much more deliberate in terms of frequency. We're not just going to... Um, we're not going to maintain a high publishing volume for the sake of a high publishing volume. We're going to publish something when we have something to say that's relevant to that audience. And so you're going to see our frequency diminish, but the substantiveness of our posts um, hopefully um, deepen. On the longer form side, you're going to see a lot more of what I said a, a moment ago, that is, how can we take this, um, this really proprietary asset, which is thousands of SaaS companies using our product and what can we learn from the ways they use it and what um, inferences can we draw from the way that they use it. You're going to see more content, more longer form content that simply takes us much longer time to produce. You'll see much more of that generated from us than the sort of editorial ebooks that tend to work when one is marketing to a marketing audience. Uh, I just think a sales audience behaves differently. And you're going to see an appetite for shorter forms. If our goal is less about acquiring new names and more about um, warming up accounts, um, what you're going to see is a, a like a willingness on our end. And this is this is going to be tricky. This is going to be tricky politically, but a willingness on our end to put a shorter form in front of our content, or even not put a form in front of our content, and um, and um, and, and, and remove the friction from the process. That's interesting. You know, it, it kind of brings me back to, to an area we started talking about, which is how you motivate your team, how you organize your team. And I'm just curious because, you know, one of the things we talk about in every department of our company here at Uberflip is that every department has to have one metric that matters to them, right? You know, one thing that they're striving for that everyone understands to rally around. So with with your description earlier of of it being about how many accounts you engage with, is it now still going to be an MQL um you know, traditional driver for the marketing team as to what you're evaluating on, or or is there a different metric that you kind of you know rally the team around? Um, it's going to be a different metric. Uh, it's going to be marketing qualified accounts, and it's gonna we're going to look at of the accounts in Salesforce, how many of them did we warm up 
to a level that we think is a quality proxy for a company that's ready to talk to sales. And we have to figure out exactly what that is, and we're going to work with Infer to try to find, um, to uh, try to get some more knowledge there. And we're going to do some sort of backward-looking analytics from, you know, our top opportunities and customers. How often did they engage with us, and in what ways did they engage with us before um, moving forward in the funnel? So we have to do some kind of um, reverse engineering of what that score will look like. But no, it's not going to be MQLs. It's going to be marketing qualified accounts. And an MQA is a proxy for an account that is engaged with us enough that we think they're ready to talk to sales. Joe, I'm curious. I think a lot of marketers are, are wishing they could start to dabble in account-based marketing. And they probably will out of necessity, if nothing else. Being that you're very early in this transition and you're talking about the journey now, what are some of the key takeaways you've already found that every marketer should listen to and start to follow as they try to test some account-based marketing? Um, I, look, it sounds like I'm doing a webinar to um, Pat John Miller and the team at Terminus on the back, um, but those guys have been extraordinarily helpful. The sessions that they do publicly um, are, are incredibly helpful. Um, the content they produce is, surprise, surprise, incredibly helpful. I think there's some early thought leaders out there that are, um, um, while provocative, um, and they sort of need to be provocative to start this conversation, they are, um, they're delivering information that's incredibly useful for companies that are um, toying with the idea of a shift. I would also say that um, I think marketers... They, we tend to like to go all in on something, right? Like we tend to be binary. You're a content marketer or a demand gen marketer. You're a PR person or an events person. We we tend to um, we tend to define ourselves fairly narrowly, and I think we tend to be more comfortable in in extremes. But in this particular case, I do think that for the vast majority of, the, of companies, the um, they're just going to have to find a, a, a setting along that kind of spectrum between pure inbound and pure ABM that they're comfortable with and, um, and live with that. And it's, it's going to be uncomfortable, um, but it's, it's, for most companies, it's the only answer. And that answer needs to be determined by how large an ACV, like how, what's the revenue potential for each customer, how big is my addressable market in terms of number of logos, like the fewer logos with the higher um, contract value, the more you're going to be skewed to the ABM side, and the smaller the deals and the more of them, the more you're going to be on the inside, uh, the inbound or content, pure content side. And then you just have to take sort of an honest inventory of who you sell to and how many of them there are and what's really the, the dollar potential out of each deal and just figure out on that gray scale um, where your company fits and then build your own model off of that. That's great advice. And you know, it's always fun talking to you, Joe, just because you know, things evolve in this space, and, and I think this is just another example of how we're all getting more sophisticated um, you know, as, as things go, marketers as a whole, and, and those playing in the content space. So uh, before we wrap up, 
I, I just have one last thing to add. Um, speaking of evolution, like I, I thought of you recently when uh, I was having a conversation with my team about what the elements of measure, what how we're going to really determine if an account is warmed up. And we talked about shifting from like number of downloads to the amount of time somebody spends in a piece of content. And I remember talking to you um, about Uberflip and you had said you can see how long somebody spends in a given resource or how long they spend on a given page of a given resource. And I thought it was interesting. I just wasn't sure what I would do with that. And suddenly now with the rise of ABM, um, I see what somebody could do with that. If you're looking at engagement as a time spent with your content versus number of downloads, suddenly that Uberflip feature that gives you a sense of um, what's sticky in a piece of content, um, suddenly it, 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 it matters dearly. There you go. See, the problem is I'm always ahead of myself. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so uh, thanks for thanks for the that uh, look back though. Uh, you know, talking about looking back, you know, one of the things we always like to get uh, perspective from 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 our content pros is is what they wanted to be way back when. Um, and I know in your case, it, it, I don't believe it was a baseball fan, even though these days, as I know you're a Casey Royals fan, uh, you must be a, a, a huge, uh, you know relief after last year in, in terms of what they pulled off in the, in the last uh, little while. But maybe, maybe take us way back as to where you want it to be. All right. Yes. Um, go KC. Uh, it was less what I wanted to be and more who I wanted to be. Like, I wanted to be Steven Tyler from Aerosmith. Like, I would, I would like, purse my lips to try to, like, look as much like Steven Tyler as I could. Um, I wanted to be that guy. And what I think is really cool right now is I have a son who's, um, I have two kids and, and one of them is six and um, he's spent the last year in drum lessons and while I can't get him to play any Aerosmith songs just yet, he is playing ACDC songs from beginning to end and so I get just like the biggest kick out of it seeing like my childhood rock star dreams being, uh, being um, the, the seeds being planted at this young age. He, he told me the other day, I used to want to be a paleontologist, but now I just want to be a rock star. So it was a, it was about the best thing I've ever heard. <laughs> That's awesome. It's it's funny how ACDC, unlike content strategy, is timeless. My I kid you not, my kid the other day, he's like, I want to play this really cool song for you, and and sure enough, it's like thunderstruck, as though he had just discovered it, you know, as this brand new song that was available. So yeah, let him feel that though, because it's a heck of a feeling. <laughs> Well, I think there could actually be a marketing rock band. There are a lot of marketers that used to be in rock bands. I think I work with four. Is that right? Well, yes. Jason Miller needs to be in the band. He'd be, uh, he'd be miffed to be left out of that one. Yes, he would. So we might have to do that. There's your collaborative piece that we can build in Uberflip, Randy, the, the marketing rock stars, literally, like people who used to be in rock bands. Fantastic. I'll, I'll share with you guys later a picture of me from Halloween, and uh, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Joe. I think this was a really insightful conversation and one we haven't really ventured into yet. So I appreciate your time, and on behalf of everyone joining us on the Content Pros Podcast, thank you for your time as well. You can follow more at contentprospodcast.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere you like to get your podcast. If you have a minute, please leave us a review. On behalf of Randy Frisch from Uberflip, I am Chris Moody from Oracle Marketing Cloud, and we'll talk to you all next week. 
Thanks for tuning in to Content Pros. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast listening app. Go to contentprospodcast.com for a complete show archive and greatest hits. Content Pros is sponsored by Oracle Marketing Cloud, Uberflip, and Inbound Writer, and is produced by Convince and Convert Media. Find more great shows like Content Pros at marketingpodcast.com, the first search engine for marketing podcasts. Podcast imaging by Audio Bag.